Hi everyone, I'm Mike. And I'm Jeremy. Welcome to House Calls, a podcast where we take your questions on all things related to homes, design, or anything else about buildings and the places people dwell. Call 1-800-511-6842 to get your questions answered. And remember, the advice might only be worth what you paid for it. Hello? Is this Russ? This is Russ. This is Jeremy and Mike from the House Calls Podcast. What's How's going it going? On, Russ? Hey, Mike and Jeremy. How you guys doing? We're Great. doing all right. We uh, we got a message. You have a question. Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm from Texas, but I am up in the Catskills right now. In fact, I just watch three turkeys walking by. Great evening. <laughs> but uh, first question actually is for uh, a friend of mine. A problem he has, and I'm not sure, I think he's a little bit embarrassed about it, and I think he, or he might be in denial, or maybe both, but he's got carpenter bees uh, throughout the outside of his house, and uh, my wife and I have tried to talk to him about it, and, uh, you know, tell him it's important to kind of take care of it, but, um, you know, he, I didn't get the impression he wanted to listen to us, so I was kind of hoping <laughs> you guys could share some uh, thoughts on that, and help him out a little bit, and in the process, and, and I'm pretty sure he's listening, um, but yeah, we've tried to talk to him about it, and, and I think he's had them since last year, and I, I know that they can be a serious problem, so I was kind of hoping you guys could shed some light on that and some thoughts and ways to deal with them before they become too big of a problem. All right. So how big of a problem are they? Because carpenter bees bore based on what's on the outside of your house. Full disclosure here, I don't know what carpenter bees bore into. I know that carpenter ants are seeking wet wood. I believe I've seen them in pine, and I think I've seen them in cedar. Yeah, we had them We had them in Texas um, and in pine and, and fascia, usually, and it seems like they, you know, they go right into the fascia and they lay their eggs and the larvae develop and, you know, a certain amount of time later, along come woodpeckers hearing the larvae trying to get out and they peck the heck out of the wood. So that's, I think, where the most of the damage is. It's like, it's like the circle of fascia life. But we got to figure out how to get rid of them. All right. Because they're a nuisance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, the larvae, they, they cause a lot of damage. And, and I think worse is, you know, when they have the pileated woodpeckers come and they tear apart your fascia trying to get the nice, juicy larva. So. Okay. So what's the advice you gave this friend of yours? <laughs> well, this friend for, in this air for, quotes. This former friend of well, yours. Well, I, no, he's, he's a very good friend, actually. He's a very, oh, okay. very nice guy. Um, we suggest that he block up the holes with wood. That's things we have read over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get dowels. I think they, you know, the size of the hole is about a nickel or less, maybe a dime, maybe a little. It's about a dime, a dime, yeah. Yeah, and very uniform yeah. looking. Yeah, it's perfectly Yeah, bad. it's really pretty cool, actually, yeah. And uh, we've heard they block those up, um, and that way when the larva or when the eggs hatch, the larva can't get out and cause more damage or just kills them inside the inside the tunnel, which I think the tunnels, you might have just said this, they get pretty long. They can go a foot or so long inside the woods. It so. seems like they don't discriminate where they bore these tunnels. I think you're right. I think the advice you gave to your friend is spot on. And one of the best things you could plug up those holes with, spray foam. You know I'm a fan of spray foam. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right? Spray, I've heard that too. Yeah, spray foam. Idea. Bugs do not like spray foam. The other thing you can do is use some sort of high test wood putty you can use a two-part you can use bondo yep and then paint over that i would use what i would use is ready patch you can use ready patch 
Ready Patch. You can use Ready Patch, Michael. I would use Ready Patch. You know why? Dries quick, sands even, doesn't sink when it's dry. I would probably use Minwax two-part wood filler. <laughs> it has a filler and a hardener. It dries very hard, and there's this this little window at which it's still uh, trimmable and moldable, and you can paint over it. Yeah. So now we're going to debate the merits of uh, wood hardeners, which in putties, which is good. It's a subject unto itself. But yeah, <laughs> I like I like the spray foam idea though too. You can cut the spray foam. You know, it goes in easy. Cut it, sand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You can cut it and sand it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Reaches way back in, and all you do is put a little caulk over the, you know, exterior caulk over the end of the spray foam, paint it, and nobody will know it was there. Yeah. Well, so, something a little more mundane and not as exciting as carpenter bees, but toilet condensation. Oh. We, uh, in the house up here, we have a well about 350 feet deep. And so, of course, the water coming up to the toilet is very cold. And causes a lot of exterior condensation on the back of, well, on the toilet bowl in, in general, but on the outside, where it drips and accumulates and just puddles. Yeah. And short of providing a heater to that water to cha- you know lower the temperature differential or whatever you want to call it, what what can you do about that? You have any ideas? I have a customer who had the exact same problem. This is a great question. A- yeah, and. I ended up replacing the toilet with an insulated toilet tank. That's one step. Correct. And it actually worked. That solved the problem for them. I don't know that it would solve the problem for everyone, but there's actually... Well, it would still sweat off of the toilet. It would still sweat off of the trap, the bowl, etc. The the culprit in their house was really the tank. And because the that's reason where it is because it's single walled. The bowl is double walled typically. So the single wall tank is going to condensate. But what causes that condensation? That's the question. The ice cold water meeting the room temperature fixture. You got it. So modern homes, modern homes with ERVs, energy recovery ventilation, or heat recovery Ooh. ventilation, typically ERVs pull the moisture out of the air. They have a drain on them, so as they're circulating fresh air, they pull the moisture out. A typical uh, air conditioner unit can do this as well. So you can either get an insulated bowl, and that's great. Simple fix, right? Just put one on. Insulated tank. Sorry, insulated tank. Throw one on. Boom, done. Or you can get to the root of the house problem, and that's too much moisture inside. Uh, Yeah, Uh, this is an older cabin, so that might be more difficult. I'd go with the insulated tank. I agree. Yeah, so can you in, can you insulate an existing tank? I mean, would just foam, you think? Like the, what do you call that, insulated foam, the two-inch foam? I only foam? insulate tanks with carpenter bees. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, well, that may work out mutually beneficial because, again, my friend has a lot. You, so if he finds it might work well for insulation. No, I wouldn't put anything well. on the tank. I think so. You couldn't do that. You'd have to buy another tank entirely. You think? No, you're in New York. New York doesn't allow foam on the tank. Only Texas will. I'm telling you, it's only legal in Texas. <laughs> well, we shouldn't talk about. We'll get another another day long discussion about things that are legal in Texas and not I, here. But I think it's probably not worth your your aggravation. Agreed. I think you should just let it drip. No, 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 no. Oh. Um, insulating a tank DIY, just just trying to do it yourself. I think if if you buy an insulated tank, it's just going to be so much easier. And insulating a, an existing tank might change the flushing dynamic of it. Now, hold on. Oh, hold boy. on. Wait, wait. I got one more thing with this. There's never just one. 
How often do you use this toilet in this cabin? Insulate the tank. <laughs> check check an actual plumbing supply house first. Because if you go to a box store, they're going to look at you like you've got three heads. Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Local supply house. Amazon. Yeah. Support a local supply house. <laughs> Who shops there? I do. Cool. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I, I and I, I, You're very helpful, and I wish you good luck. I, I hope my friend was listening in regards to the Carpenter Bees, and, and I think he probably was. So you uh, he, he's probably for lack of a better term, killed two birds with one stone or phone call. Hey, thanks for calling. Thank you. Hey, thank you guys. This was fun I, and, and, and educational. All Excellent. right, thanks. We'll talk have, talk you to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's talk a little bit about where we are. We are in Silver Hollow Audio. It is owned and operated by our producer, Brett Berry. Chairman of the boards. And he has some production assistants... One is with us tonight, Nick Wagner. Nick Wagner. He's a student at SUNY New Paltz. Love that place. Ever heard of it? Yes, pretty popular here in New York State and the world over, gunks climbing, etc. But Nick, I believe, is from down in Long Island, coming up to the beautiful Catskill Mountains to record with us. How cool is that? I love it here. It's so cool doing this in a legitimate studio. Really. The sound quality is awesome. It's comfortable. It's just pro. I mean, we could have done this podcast with some cheap microphone that you plug into your laptop. And I think doing it with a legitimate audiologist. Brett, what do you call yourself? A recording engineer? Doing it with a a legitimate audio producer was absolutely the way to go. And I'm glad we did. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Anna, this is Jeremy and Mike from the House Calls Podcast. Hi there. Hey, you called in with a question. Fill us in. And tell us where you're calling from. Uh, I'm calling from Orleans in Cape Cod and Massachusetts. I'm calling because I have a house that's used during the summer months, and sometimes it gets very musty smelling downstairs. The first floor is halfway underground. It's sort of a, it's not a basement, but partially underground. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on what I could do about that. Uh, is it living space? It is. There's two bedrooms, bathroom, laundry room. Okay. And um, there's framed walls down there. And I'm guessing there's like carpet on the floor. It's tile on the floor tile in on the floor. one room and then carpet in, carpet in two other rooms and tile on the other. And it was a, it, the house had been a one-story kind of cape cottage that had been close to a road and moved about maybe a hundred feet back from the road. And when they moved it back, they built a first story under, I guess, sort of partially underground Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and then put the older structure on top of the new. And it's also very thick concrete. It's sort of, I guess, foundation, but it's very thick concrete walls that they did for, I think for green building and for better insulation and energy efficiency. If that matters. It does. Jeremy and I were just talking about this, literally just talking about this earlier today. Yes, everybody thinks concrete is a thermal mass and it's good for energy efficiency, and it is. But concrete is also porous. Water goes through it. Mm -hmm. Air goes through Mm -hmm. it, technically. And thermodynamics, warm goes to cold in any direction. It can go down, it can go up, whatever direction, doesn't matter. And when warm meets cold... You have condensation. Foundations are typically where most homes go wrong. 
And they go wrong for two mm-hmm. reasons. They go wrong for thermal reasons, and they go wrong for moisture reasons. And those things are not mutually mm-hmm. exclusive. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if, they put, uh, if they put fiberglass insulation in the foundation wall, you know, they have a mm-hmm. concrete wall, and then they frame it with a couple two-by-fours and so on, and they put fiberglass insulation in that wall without any form of vapor barrier— that fiberglass insulation is collecting moisture all the time. And, and you can ask anyone from a flooded region or a flooded experience, that fiberglass is never going to let go of that water. It's always going to hold it, like for years. I mean, you would okay. have to okay. dehumidify it for years to get that's, it out of the wall. That's what I was wondering about, whether I should purchase a dehumidifier. You should. Yeah, this is a thermal issue. So you have warm, moist air. Oh, and it's Cape Cod, so you're by the ocean. Plenty of water. In that area. Right, right. It's so, very humid. Yeah. yeah, you have warm, moist air, and it's condensing when it gets downstairs. Now, where it's condensing, it's condensing everywhere. It's condensing in the carpet. It's condensing in the in the f- probably fiberglass insulation in the walls. So really, your best bet, your best, quickest, simplest solution is to dehumidify it constantly. So you may want to invest in a permanent dehumidifier, uh-huh. something installed. And, some, and have okay. it in a location where it always has a place for that collected condensation, the water, to drip out to. So whether yeah. it goes to a sump pit and gets pumped out or whether it goes to even just um, a tube, like a polyethylene tube mm-hmm. that can discharge the water mm-hmm. outside. Is it worth getting a portable dehumidifier just for you know July, August, really, when the house is in use? I would say start or, or s- start with that. Good good call. Start, start with, with that, that and see how it performs. Yeah. See see okay. if that helps the problem. Then you don't have a ton of money invested into it, and right. you know take it from there. And does that have to run all the time? It does. So here's the thing: a lot of those little small portable uh, dehumidifiers, they come with a tank on it that you always have to empty. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times they also mm-hmm. come with a little attachment like a little nozzle, and you can attach a hose mm-hmm. to that nozzle, and you can right. drain it right. all the time, 24-7. Okay. Yeah. And and it, should it be in a main room, or could it be in, say, a laundry room? Centrally located somehow. Centrally located okay. where the problem is most prevalent. And where that problem will okay. be most prevalent is the coolest parts of the basement. Okay. Great. I will look into that. Hopefully that answers sure. your question. Thank you guys for your help. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Have a Bye-bye. Day. Okay, we're talking to Eric in Glenmont, New York. Eric, this is Jeremy and Mike from the House Calls podcast. How are you guys doing? Great. We're doing all right. What's going on in your house? We're in this house. It's a new house, about two years old. And this is going to sound really strange, but, uh, you know, it's quiet at night. And my wife and I, we can hear like this, sounds like an elephant, (laughs) two, two like elephant blasts. Hold on, wait, an like, (laughs) or well, like it's like that, it's like that, but it's like really short, you know, like half second blast, like a second or two apart. Eric, you have to replicate this for us. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, it's like. Like that. Oh. But it's like really high pitch. Like so, how high? <laughs> how high can you do what it? octave? I mean, it's, a, it's about what I did. But, did you, uh, did you so, record this sound? No, because so it's like it, it happens like maybe once every hour or every two hours. You never know when it's going to happen. 
So I never think to record it. It's always too late. You said it's in the basement. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can hear it all the way upstairs. You can hear it in the basement. You can hear it on the first floor. You know, it's either mechanical or there's actually like an animal in the foundation somewhere. <laughs> Is it seasonal? We, we heard it a lot in the winter. I don't, I mean, it's only, I noticed it more in the winter. Maybe it was in the summer and I never noticed it because you're inside a lot more. Um, and I was in the basement and I heard it. And then just a couple of days ago, I was in the bathroom on the first floor and I could have sworn I was hearing it out of the, like the register uh, where the forced hot air comes out of. I think it's Tell one me. of two things. I think either you have an elephant. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Or. Or. Yeah. You said it's a new house? Yeah, it's about two years old. And what's, describe the locale of your new house. Is it, is it in the woods? Is it? No, it's in a suburban neighborhood in upstate New York. And, and what um, was there before your house? Uh, there was a circus. No. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. That explains it. <laughs> um, you know, it was a field, a lot of animals, farm, dun, dun, you know, like dun. farm, farm animals. <laughs> yeah, I think we're getting closer. So you said it sounded like it came out of the air register. Yeah. And does it make this sound when the heat comes on or goes off? You know, that, it, it's not. It's not related to that. Like, I was thinking maybe then the air would be blowing. But it when I was in the bathroom and I heard it better, it, it sounded like metal scraping on metal. And I've been kind of messing around with the dampers um, to get the temperature right in all the rooms. When you talk about dampers, let's right. en let's enlighten the callers. The dampers in your any type of damper is basically a flap. It's a flapper. And sometimes, and not sometimes to be mistaken they, with the clapper. <laughs> the <laughs> the a damper either allows or disallows movement of air. And sometimes they're thermostatically controlled. Sometimes they're just passive. Temperature controlled. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they only open when there's air blowing and then the air shuts off and they close. I only knew of the dampers that I can control and you just flip it open or close, you know, so that it allows. Yeah. So you're saying that there's actually like ones that move that I don't have control over. Yes. Yep. Depending on if you have zone related. Yes. If you have one furnace in the house, but three zones and the zones, you could count by how many thermostats you have. So each thermostat controls one zone usually, um, unless you have a new fancy house. I mean, it does have uh, it's a, it does have two zones and it says two stages with the furnaces. I don't know if that means anything to you guys. Perfect. Yeah, it does. So, Huh. I know what JK is going to say. What is JK going to say? It's a damper. I, yeah, but I don't, I think, it, I do think it's a damper, but in a new house, again, in theory, a new house shouldn't have a damper that's making that much noise. Or he just said he's, yeah. he thinks it's metal on metal. Yeah. Like so scraping. What it sounds like a scraping, like yep. a scraping noise. So the damper is a metal damper and it's on a metal pin. And huh. what happens is probably when it's coming to a close, it makes one squeak when it closes, boom, and then it makes another squeak when it bounces. Boom, boom. But he, however, right? A damper, huh. a, a damper, works in correlation with the heat turning on or turning off. Yeah. And he said that there's no correlation between the sound and the well, heat. Yeah, but sometimes they float for a while as the air yeah. makes its way, and then eventually it's going to close. 
I never, I never hang around long enough to like wait for the air to blow out. But I wouldn't either because right elephants <laughs> are typically not friendly. So what you want to do, what you want to do is you want to call up an HVAC guy, tell him that you hear mm-hmm. this double squeak, especially the ones who installed it. Um, two years is sort of long, but say, hey, listen, this noise has been here a long time. Please resolve it because it's bothering us. It shouldn't exist, especially in a home that's right. only two years old. Say, we call the house calls. They know what it is because they have a microphone and a phone line. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, it's probably... I'm going to say it's a damper. Yeah, well, Coming to it, a close. I agree. I think pin. it's a damper. Well, yeah. I'm going to give that a shot because I've tried lining up a lot of peanuts outside my <laughs> yard to see if I can attract it, and it doesn't make the noise go away. That's a bummer. So but I'm going to try your, your suggestion. Yeah, try it out. Honestly, and it could be that the damper is rubbing against whatever it's inside of as it's coming to a close or as it's moving, but I'm telling you, it's probably a damper. That's great. Okay. All right, Eric. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them a call. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for, for calling House Calls Podcast. Thanks for calling. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Yep. Take Have it a easy. Good night. Yep. You as well. Bye bye. Bye. All right, Jeremy. So, if there's one thing people should know, it is if you need to make your house call, you need to call. 1 800 511 6842. Say it once more 1 800 511. 6842. And if you want to subscribe, find us, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Your platform of choice. And in the infamous words of Mike Wentland, be good. Thanks for listening to the House Calls Podcast, recorded at Silver Hollow Audio, with your hosts, Mike Wentland and Jeremy Castle. This episode was produced by Brett Barry, production assistant Nicholas Wagner, distributed by Anchor. Thanks to our program sponsor, Rare Books Uncovered, true stories of fantastic finds in unlikely places, now available in paperback. Be sure to click that subscribe button and call us so we can feature your home question on the show. 1-800-511-6842. That's 1-800-511-6842. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.